It's a joy to have you in worship. It's also a joy to have Pastor Charles back, who is going to be uh, giving us a word this morning. So I'd like you to help me welcome Charles as he comes. Morning, everyone. Good to see you. It's been a while. Sorry, it's been a tough summer for me. I've had some hard back problems involving a, a bum disc that keeps getting torn. My orthopedic doctor has a good plan. We're looking for a surgeon to execute the plan. Um, in the meanwhile, while I can uh, preach and be here, I'll try to be here. And then we will see if I can get to a permanently better place, which I am very hopeful about. Uh, so. Hopefully we'll get there. In the meanwhile, it is great to see you. I am back. Should be okay. Let's see what happens. Um, anyway, welcome to the river. Uh, we're studying a new sermon series called Life of Worth. Because every human being wants life of worth, right? I mean, who wants to live worthless lives? Anybody here? Yeah, worthless life. That's for me. No, we want life of worth, right? Uh, now, each of us may have different ideas on what that looks like, right? Different people have different ideas about what exactly is a worthy life, right? Some people think being creative is the way to get worth. Some people think it's being successful, being a good person, being a good provider, being a faithful person, a church person, a good person. What's your take on it? Now think about it for a moment. Where do you draw your sense of worth? Who do you look up to? What do you think gives someone worth? You know, being smart, uh, being good-looking. I see some good-looking people out here. <laughs> you know, where, where is it? Um, I know sometimes making it is all we can think about here in New York. Busy, 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 day-to-day, -day, just surviving. But it's not enough to just survive, right? As human beings, we need more we need meaning, dignity, worth. And different religions and philosophies and schools of thought have proposed different ways of thinking about this. And we all have different take on it. So today, I'd like us to take a look at what Jesus taught us about worth, how to think about worth, how to draw meaning in your life, how to be satisfied in your deep soul. Uh, from a very famous teaching by Jesus called Parable of the Prodigal Son. Shall we take a look together? So it's from the book of Luke, chapter 15. He says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. 
and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry. Wouldn't you? And wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. Very famous story, right? It is called, it is said to be the most well-known story in the world. It has been called the gospel in a story. It is Jesus in an abstract. It is the gospel in one story. It is the most important story Jesus told, parable of the prodigal son, yes? And it begins with an outrageous behavior by a young man. I, I picture him as a stupid teenager, right? A teenager without a brain. He's not thinking through anything, right? He is basically a toddler in his demands. He says, give me my inheritance now before you die. Oh, my God, right? He's like some type of boss baby, right? <laughs> he's, uh, he's in like, he's in stage one level of development according to a scheme developed by a psychiatrist named M. Scott Peck. Uh, 
stage one is all about consuming, taking, demanding, like a little toddler. They don't think about, you know, like when, 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 the, when the toddler's parents come home, they don't like go, oh, mom, welcome home. You must be tired. Thank you so much for working for me and providing such a nice home. You know, can I do anything for you? You, you know, toddlers are not going to do that, right? They're just going to take. And, and when you tell them, you know, don't, don't hit your brother, they're going to go, why? Why not? Right? They are just basically criminal in their thinking. <laughs> they are selfish, narcissistic. They are degenerate, right? <laughs> That's just the way that is. They don't know any better. They just, the brain has not developed very much. They, but the thing is, according to Scott Peck, civilizations and people and culture can act like stage one, right? There are criminal, degenerate parts of this world today where anything goes, and people are just all about taking, being powerful, becoming wealthy, you know, dominating, you know, I think of Trump and I think that's stage one, right? Just all about dominating, demanding, all about him, right? Stage, you can be stuck in that way. And they use people like objects. They don't care about people. Uh, look at this young man. To him, his father is just a source of money, right? The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. I mean, just think for a moment what that means, right? He's saying to his father, I can't wait for you to die. Would you die already? I want my money now. I mean, how, how hurtful that must be to the father. He just thinks of his father as just a tool, an object. And it's not just his father. He... he it's, it's people in general, right? He, he sees all people in general this way. He squanders his money on prostitutes. He, he sees people as just objects to be used for his pleasure. You just buy them off, right? Just use them. That's stage one. The problem with that is that it cheapens you too. If you think of all people as just objects to be used for your pleasure, they exist for you, they're just tools, then you become an object too. If all human beings are just objects, then you are an object as well. And at that point, there is no inherent worth to anything. There is no meaning to anything in this world when everyone is just a tool when everything is just chemicals and everything exists for your aggrandizement, it's all about what you can get out of this life in this short life we have, nothing is meaningful then, right? It's just all about what you can take. <laughs> Where's meaning in that? Where's worth in that? There is no worth in anything, in any activity. There's no meaning. It's all just chemicals, you know, eating each other. That just leads to cynical emptiness. So that's why it's instructive that the story tells us the young man ends up starving 
As he began to starve, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So he treated people like objects, and now he's being treated like a worthless object. No one gives him anything. He's, he's worth less than a pig, right? So the point in this story has a bigger lesson than just you know, the obvious, don't waste your money in wild living. You know, be prudent. That's one obvious lesson from this, but that can't be all that is because not all young men who strike out with big inheritance ends up starving, right? I mean, I mentioned Trump. He uh, was a young man, was given a lot of inheritance, and he did pretty well for himself, wouldn't you say? He didn't end up starving. He's a billionaire. He, he did live a wild living, you know, with prostitutes and all kinds of stuff. It's well known. But he's doing very well in terms of money and wealth and power. So it can't, the lesson cannot be if you live a degenerate life, your life is going to just become a failure and you're going to end up starving. That can't be the lesson. That's not what happens in this world. The bigger lesson here is that you will starve spiritually. You will starve for worth and meaning and satisfaction in your heart that goes deeper than just what you are having for dinner tonight. You will always end up starving in those terms, those deeper universal human needs if you think of all people as just objects, and you are just stage one narcissist. I mean, does Trump strike you as a happy person? I don't, he's very angry all the time, it seems to me. Not very satisfied in that inner spiritual depth. You end up starving. This is well known from ancient times, from pretty much every civilization, culture, religion, philosophies. This is very well-known lesson. So in response, in churches like this, what you usually hear is, don't be like that. Don't be a narcissist, self-observed you know, stage one. Be a good person, right? Serve people. Better yet, serve God. Follow the rules in the Bible. Be a good person. That's what you would normally expect to hear from churches like this. And I would agree it is better than stage one. This is called stage two, according to M. Scott Peck. Churches, along with the military, are preeminent stage two institutions. But the surprise message and lesson from this story of Jesus is that stage two will also leave you spiritually starving for worth. That doesn't work either. You see, in this story, the older son represents stage two. Don't you think? He's a good guy. He follows the rules. He works faithfully. He does good work. You know, he, 
puts his head down and does what he's told, right? He's the perfect model of a servant of God, perfect servant of God. He's been serving the Father faithfully all his life. And when he finds out that his degenerate younger brother comes home to a feast thrown by the father, he is understandably very upset. Church people, religious people get very upset by how God truly is. <laughs> he is upset. He's, uh, this is what happens. The older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father, who represents God in this story, right? Your father has killed a fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you, worked for you, and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. My God, what a declaration. Have you, are you able to stand up and say, I have never disobeyed God in any matter at all in all of my life? Not a single thing. Wow, the chutzpah, right? I mean, just the ability to say that must mean that he has been a pretty good servant of God, right? I mean, he must have at least come close, right? And in all that time, you never gave me even young goat for a feast with my friends. Not been rewarded very well for all that work. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. The degenerate gets the fattened calf and the perfect servant of God doesn't even get a young goat. Wow. How does this work? Is this really God? Even this day, this young, older brother was working in the fields all day long, doing some missionary work, serving the poor, helping people, doing good work all day long. And he comes home tired. And this degenerate younger brother <laughs> is getting the feast of a lifetime. Wouldn't you blow up? He claims he worked like a slave, never disobeyed in anything. Yet never even got one young goat. Whatever is happening, he is not eating well either, is he? Can we at least say that? I mean, he's not starving like his younger brother. But it sounds like he's kind of malnourished. <laughs> Don't you agree? He's not getting enough protein in his diet. <laughs> There's no meat in his, you know... Remember that commercial, where's the beef? <laughs> Anybody remember? I'm dating myself. Anybody old enough to remember the commercial, where's the beef? Where is the beef? He's not getting any beef in church, in, in, in all his missions work. There's no beef. 
not getting any satisfaction. And worse yet, the story says he's now outside the tent where the feast of heaven is happening. Right? That's what this represents. This, this feast, heavenly feast of God is happening. His younger brother is in there, but this perfect servant of God is outside the tent, not getting it. He's not even in heaven. Wow. In a way, he's even worse off. Right? Ultimately, he's not even getting into heaven. That's a pretty bad fate. Work for God all your life and don't even get to go to heaven. Just think about that for a moment. What a terrible fate that is. That can happen. In fact, Jesus says that is what happens. It should sober you up. Especially for those of us like me who have tried to work for God all my life. I really have probably worked for God, you know, a lot. <laughs> I could be found outside heaven if I end up with this mentality. That's the warning from the passage. These two sons, stage one and stage two, neither works. Neither works. The father, representing God, is different from both the degenerate and the religious. Yes? That's very clear. And I believe the D difference between the Father God and his two sons representing the world and how the world goes about things is all about where your worth comes from. Look at what the younger son says upon his return. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. He feels that his worth is gone. He's worthless now. He's not worthy of being the son of the father, right? Because of his behavior. It's conditional upon how he behaves. That's how he thinks. I mean, that's how the world treated him. He's in a pig pen. Nobody even gives him anything. He's worthless. He's not worthy of anything anymore. And the older brother agrees, right? The older brother sees his younger brother in, the, in those terms. That to him, the older brother, the worth comes from working hard for God, being a good person, being faithful. See, that's why he says, all these years I've slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. You know, that's, that's, that's the center of his life. That's what he felt that worth of a human being comes from. So he gave himself to these values. And you and I, we are all giving our lives to our values in some ways. To what we think makes ourselves worthy, worth living, we are giving our lives to that. We're all doing it in some ways because we think worth comes from this or that or that. And we go after it. But in all that time, he never got a young goat for a feast. He's been starving. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. 
To the older brother, the fattened calf should be given to the hard-working good servant of God. It's contingent, it's conditional upon your behavior. The degenerate younger brother does not deserve such a feast. Look at what he calls his brother. This son of yours. Did you notice that? It's his brother, but he calls him this son of yours. You know, he may be your son, and you may still see him as a son, but he's not my brother. He's no longer worthy to be called my brother because of his behavior, right? And look at how the father responds. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but is now found. It's, it's sort of pointed. The, the older brother said, this son of yours, and the father responds by saying, your brother. <laughs> what do you think is going on there, right? There's a difference in mentality. Lost brother is still a brother. Dead brother is still a brother. It's not a matter of no longer my son. You see that? The difference is dead or alive, not no more, no, no more my brother. So to our God and to Christ, nothing can lead to no longer worthy of being called the son or daughter of God. Amen? Nothing. That's the heart of the gospel. That's what makes one Christian to believe it. Do you believe this? If you believe this, then you are Christian. That's the Christian message. Christ died for us before we did or believed anything, the Bible tells us. While we were still degenerate sinners. The way that God sees us is different from the way that we see ourselves or each other. Now, this heart of the Father is captured by the Greek word agape, unconditional love. That word agape is the most important word in Christian faith. It is the greatest commandment, agape God and agape your neighbor as yourself. It is what makes one a Christian, and it is not well understood. Agape love, says Anders Nygren, a Swedish theologian, is unmotivated in the sense that it is not contingent on any value or worth in the object of love. It is spontaneous and heedless, for it does not determine beforehand whether love will be effective or appropriate in any particular case. It's a very interesting thought there, that this love of God, agape love, is not contingent upon your worth. Your worth come, is conferred upon you by God's heart. It's not about how worthy you are. It's about how God sees you as worthy. And worth comes from the beholder of the beauty. You know? Does that make sense to you? Like diamond is just a rock. Why is it worth so much? It's because we say it's worth so much. It's like that. God calls you worthy, and that's what makes you worthy, and that's all there is to it. 
It's not contingent upon you and how well you are behaving and how much you are working for God or whatever. If we can really take this into our hearts and live from that place of faith, it will truly anchor you through the ups and downs of life because it's so easy to go up and down in our lives, isn't it? It's so easy to think I'm worthless. It's so easy to think I'm a failure. It's so easy to go down into the depths of the valley. But if you have faith, nothing can affect you in those terms. You will always have meaning and worth. That is the power of God and the wisdom of God and the saving grace of the Christian faith. Amen? That is the feast of God, the feast of heaven. You will not starve in your heart for worth and meaning once you take this in. That's why gospel is worth it. That's why Christian faith is worth believing. So as we draw to conclusion, let me offer you a couple of practical suggestions. First, make it your mission to fight for people who are treated worthless for being who they are. That happens all the time, everywhere. <laughs> people get treated like they're worthless, like this young man who finds himself in a pig pen. How, you know what I mean? This world looks at different people at different times and treats people like they're worthless, like 200 years ago. In this country, dark-skinned people were treated like worthless, kept in slavery, they were treated as less than human, don't you agree? In this country, just for being who they are, right? Christian church at that time was split on the issue of slavery. And in fact, the majority sided with the South. The Southern Baptist denomination, which is the largest denomination today, was founded to defend the slavery because people believed the Bible supported slavery because of some passages in the Bible which does seem appear to support slavery. So that's what people thought. That came from the older son mentality. This idea or this mentality that rules in the Bible are to be followed over anything else. It took priority over the message of the cross. Just because of some passages in the Bible, that took priority over the message of the cross that all human beings have infinite worth equivalent to the worth of life of God incarnate. Isn't that the message of the cross? But dark-skinned people didn't have any worth because the Bible seemed to suggest so. That's the older son mentality. Don't you agree? And I don't understand why Christians don't try to learn from that and repent of it more properly. Because I believe that was the greatest mistake of the church in history. And the list is pretty long in terms of how many mistakes church has made. But supporting slavery for 1,800 years, that's got to be kind of up at the top. Don't you think? Why don't we like try to repent from it? 
Because the church does this again and again and again and again. Rules over people. Some Bible passage, bam. Those people can be treated like they are less than human beings because of some passage. Doesn't matter what the, the, the cross declares. Let's go with this passage. That's happened with women's issues, equality with women. Divorce, and now today I feel like LGBTQ people get treated like they're less than human beings by church. Don't you agree? That's not okay. All the guilt and shame that gets thrown that direction. When God, the Father, is throwing a feast for you, LGBTQ people, the older brother is standing there going, shame on you, shame on you. For what is, for just being who they are. Just like the black people were like slaves and just like treated like worthless just for being who they are. Because the Bible, because God curses the sons of Ham. I don't know if you heard of this theology. You know, shame on you, dark-skinned people, for being children of Ham. Crazy theology, seriously. People do this again and again. We must repent. Because the mission of Christian, the evangelism, which literally means spreading the good news, cannot be looking at these Bible verses and trying to get people to recite four spiritual laws and be a good follower of God through following the Bible. You know, that's like trying to turn the younger son into the older son. Have you ever thought of it in those ways? That church everywhere tries to get Christians to go out there to the world and try to turn younger sons into older sons. That's evangelism, I feel like. Do you think the father in this story would be happy if all his children became the older brothers? I think it would break his heart. I think it would be the saddest thing ever. Don't you think? That's not good. That's not our mission. Our mission is to spread this heart of the father out there to spread the unconditionality of God's love and worth of all human beings. So go out there, and wherever you can make a difference, make a difference. Wherever you see prejudice, bias, groups of people just being marginalized, shamed, stand up and make a difference. Yes? Be like this father. That's our mission. Can we agree on that? And so then my second suggestion is take that mentality into your own mindset. You know, don't, we tend to beat up on ourselves. How many of us are hard on ourselves? Harder on ourselves than others and we take pride in it. I have for a very long time. I am going to call you to repent. Repent. That is not Christian. That is worldly. 
That is stage one and stage two thinking. That is not the father in this story. That, that is, that is the, the, the mindset that goes to, I am no longer worthy at the drop of a hat. Right? Don't go there. That's the bad place. What we need to repent from and turn towards the mentality of this father where your worth is secure. It never changes. So don't motivate yourself with shame ever. It's so easy. You're sitting there in the evening watching TV, eating a bag of potatoes, just potato chips just going, and you're just going, <laughs> I, I should exercise. I should go down and exercise. I should run. I should go like, you know, and you just, and before you know it, the bag is all done, and you just can't get up, and right? And what do you do? You go, you worthless piece of, you know, you slob, you go, you... You're nothing, you know, just go out there and exercise. You beat yourself up, right? Don't ever do that. Repent. Repent, repent, repent. Don't ever go there. Motivate yourself from worth. You are worth the life of God incarnate. Live up to that worth. Treat yourself well. Go exercise because you are worth it, not because you are worthless. Do you see the difference? Because if you motivate yourself with shame, even if you succeed, you will end up starving in a pig pen spiritually inside your soul. You will not win. So let's live by the gospel by the faith that God has conferred upon you. You are precious. You are the sons and daughters of God. You are why the Son of God died. Amen. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, come and establish in our soul, unshakable faith in your love and your regard for each and every one of us. Help us to become salt and light in this world by adapting a radically different mindset than stage one or stage two. Help us to be different and all the obvious stuff that is going on out there. Help us, oh God, to live by Christ. Live by faith. Live from a place of worth that you, oh God, has given to us. In Christ's name, amen.